Shalom Aleichem, Erev Tov. As I told you before, I have no idea, really, as to how Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin decided on the order of this list. The content, fine. I'm willing to say that he saw the world in a different way than others did. But the order in which this list is presented, I'm not certain exactly how he reached these conclusions. And what I mean to say is, if re- difference number one between Sefaradim and Ashkenazim, according to Rabbi Shantov Gagin, is that we don't pray the same Nosach, the same Sidu, then I don't know why he waited until number 41 to tell us, Ha-Sefaradim ashkenazim both Sefaradim and Ashkenazim, enan mishtavim b'miftah ivrit. They do not equal up as to how they pronounce the Hebrew language. Now that's pretty obvious that one of the major differences between Sevardim and Ashkenazim is that we do not pronounce Hebrew the same way. In fact, as far back as I can remember, since he started talking, my Elchanan, if you would ask him, Elchanan, what's your name? He tells you Elchanan. And what does Babi call you? He would say, Elchanan. And if you'd ask him, and what does Babi's mother call you? Your great-grandmother. Alea Shalom, she passed away. He would say, Elchanan. He knew that that's the way. I said, and if my Saba was still alive, how would he say your last name? He said, he would say, Halewi. And that's exactly how I raised my child, that he should know that there are a bunch of different ways to pronounce his name. It's one of the more obvious differences between any of the various Jewish communities is the way that they pronounce Hebrew. In footnote 84, Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin leads us down an interesting road. At least it led me down an interesting road. I already wrote in the Chavatzelet magazine or newspaper. That's year 38 of Chavatzelet's publication, which is 1908. I wrote a very long letter, an essay about this topic. And there I proved that the pronunciation of letters of words in Hebrew is correct when done in the Sephardic fashion, meaning Sephardic Hebrew is the correct way to pronounce Hebrew. And someone came up against me with weapons, not real weapons, but meaning there was not... It was not so well accepted among the readers of the Chavatzelet newspaper that the Sephardim pronounced Hebrew correctly. Who was his opponent? Harav Arye Lei ben Shlomo Gordon Yerushalayim. I couldn't find much about this Arye Lei ben Shlomo Gordon. If you could find, I'd be very interested to know more about his life. And these two, Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin and Rabbi Arye Lei Gordon, spent the rest of the summer if the first article was written on May 1st, published on May 1st, and the second on May 29th, this went all the way through July and August. And 
And this debate between us lasted for a number of weeks. And at the end, someone else joined the battle. Who was he? Eliezer ben Yehuda. Who was Eliezer ben Yehuda? Very good. So he's considered the father of the revival of modern Hebrew. But I have a lot to say about that. I, I owe David ben, uh, uh, ben Yehuda a tremendous amount of respect. So I accord him a lot of respect. But I find it not correct to label him the father of modern Hebrew. Maybe for the Ashkenazim. It could be that in Ashkenaz, the Jews didn't really know Hebrew well. They weren't involved in Hebrew. But by the Sephardim, we have testimonies going back hundreds of years that in Yerushalayim, the spoken language among the Sephardim was Hebrew. When the Turks were occupying Eretz Israel and then the British afterwards, the local government offices of those respective countries had paperwork in Arabic or in Turkish or in English and in Hebrew for the Jews who spoke Hebrew on a day-to-day -day basis. They had translators who translated Hebrew for the Jews of the Yishuv to speak with the government offices. So it could be that Leazar ben Yehuda revived the Hebrew language among certain camps, but definitely not among all of them. One of the Chachamim that I merited to study with a few summers ago Rabbi Shalom Toledano, he wrote a famous work, Divrei Shalom Ve'emet, where he defends Moroccan customs from Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, Alav Shalom. Rabbi Shalom Toledano grew up in Morocco in a house that spoke only Hebrew, not Arabic and not French, only Hebrew. His father only spoke Hebrew. His grandfather only spoke Hebrew. In their home in Morocco, before the state of Israel was, was even dreamt of. So it could be that there were Jews who were not proficient in the Hebrew language, I'm certain. But I'm certain that by Jews who Torah and Tefillah were not the center of their life, for sure Hebrew was not a spoken, a spoken language. And definitely Eliezer ben Yehuda brought Hebrew to the masses all over again. Yes, it could be he also helped standardize how modern Hebrew should be spoken, certain words that we now say one way or... Uh, fine. So, as I say in Hebrew, Kivodo. I respect him and he, he deserves his place in the story of the revival of the Hebrew language. Eliezer ben Yehuda steps in. Maybe I should pause here for a moment to tell you. The Chavatzelet periodical is printed already beginning in 1863. It goes through a little bit of a reform when Yisrael Beck, who's the head of the Chavatzelet magazine, newspaper, he passes this off, maybe he dies, he passes off to his, his son-in-law, Yisrael Dov Frumkin, you might have heard of the Frumkin last name, who runs this newspaper from 1870 until 1911. So when he tells you 38 years, it's really 38 years from when the new version of the Chavatzelet magazine came about. There was a short period where Eliezer ben Yehuda was the editor of this newspaper. And then he leaves to go to his own newspapers. This newspaper really became the voice piece of the old Yeshuv. 
specifically the non not non-Ashkenazi, but the non-Lithuanian groups of Jews in Israel. So, interestingly enough, the Pirushim, who are the students of the Gaon of Vilna and the Lithuanian Jews, they have their own magazine, a newspaper called Halavanon. And at this time period, it seems to have been very hard for Hasidim and Sephardim to publish their pieces in that newspaper. And so the Hasidim and the Sephardim collaborated together to put out this Chavatzelet newspaper, which is interesting because essentially this Chavatzel newspaper, though it's intended to be very conservative and very, uh, very religious, because it represents such a diverse group of people, you tend to find some very interesting personalities and very interesting articles that are being published by the Chavatzelet newspaper. If you've ever been to Kikar Tzion in Israel, in Jerusalem, in uh, if you don't know where Kikar Tzion is, that means you've spent your time usefully in Israel. If you know where Kikar Tzion is, hopefully it's just because you were walking by. Uh, but Kikar Tzion, right off of Kikar Tzion is a street, Chavatzelet. And that street is named after this newspaper that we're going to be delving in today. So Eliezer ben Yehuda, which at this point, he either wasn't yet the editor or he had already been the editor and had moved on to bigger and better newspapers. Eliezer ben Yehuda publishes his own piece. In the newspaper Hashkafa, he decided to step into this war between Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin and Rabbi Arieleib Gordon. And says Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin, and he supported my arguments. And he destroyed all of the convincing or not so convincing arguments of Gordon. And in our days, where do we find these words? Remember Megillat Esther. At the end of Megillat Esther, the Jewish people accepted upon themselves the fast days and the celebration of Purim. So he's playing on words. The Ashkenazim and Eretz Israel accepted upon themselves. To speak Hebrew with a Sephardic pronunciation. Do Ashkenazi Jews in Israel speak Hebrew with a Sephardic pronunciation? Some do, uh, but all many don't. Uh, it depends on the political affiliation versus time. Okay, let's ask you this question. So let's take away from the religious community. Let's say you're in downtown Tel Aviv and people speak to you in Hebrew, which type of Hebrew are they speaking? Then closer to Sephardic. Okay, so that's the most accurate way to say it, which is Israeli Hebrew is more similar to Sephardic Hebrew than it is to Ashkenazi Hebrew. Somebody who's really a Sephardic uh, expert in Hebrew or they really care about the details of Sephardic Hebrew will tell you that Israeli Hebrew is not Sephardic Hebrew. If it's the pronunciation of the letter Resh, if it's a Chet, if it's an Ayn, if it's the, the Sadi, if it's the, the whatever other words or pronunciations are or are not being said in Israel, fine. But if you were to take an Israeli and read to him a chapter of Tehillim in Sephardic Hebrew or in Ashkenazi Hebrew, no matter how slowly you would read to him Ashkenazi Hebrew, I'm not even talking about Hasidic Hebrew, he would have no idea what's going on. 
but if you would read to him Sephardic Hebrew, most likely he could follow along. So I will say that almost all of the Sephardic rabbis who live in this time period, in the period afterwards, where Bishop Dovgagin is writing, refer to modern Israeli Hebrew as Sephardic Hebrew. And the reason it's lacking certain letters or certain ways of pronouncing words is simply because you're dealing with a non-Sephardic population that is doing its best to speak Hebrew in a non-Ashkenazi way, but didn't really get it right. And you showed there were days in the early years of the State of Israel. Uh, so, I don't know if you ever listened to like national Israeli radio, but the day starts with someone getting on the radio and reading the day, song of the day, the Shir Shal Yom. And they read it out loud, and Israeli Hebrew used to be that in order to teach Hebrew, to speak on the radio, you had to pronounce a chet, and you had to say ayin. If you would say chet or ayin, like an aleph, they wouldn't allow you to speak. There was a time in Israel where that was considered the formal spoken Hebrew, but that fell by the wayside very quickly. Reasons that I don't want to talk about right now. Um, a lot of racism has to do with that also. You know, how Sephardic do you want the modern state of Israel to look like? But let's say that we're going to, at least for the sake of today's conversation, refer to Israeli Hebrew as Sephardic Hebrew and Ashkenazi Hebrew as all the various dialects of Ashkenazi Hebrew, Hasidic, non-Hasidic, and all of them together. And I, I started this journey in the Shi'u. I saw the footnote. I said, imagine if I could get my hands on a newspaper, Chavat to see exactly what the debates were between Rabbi Shem Dov Gagin and Rabbi Arya Leib Gordon. Now, I don't know if Arya Leib Gordon was actually a rabbi. Throughout the piece, Rabbi Shem Dov Gagin refers to him as a doctor, Dr. Gordon. So he was some person of, of high status, at least in Yerushalayim at the time. And you imagine looking up newspapers from over 100 years ago, it's not so simple. But after spending almost a whole night sifting through newspapers, I found the articles, at least the ones that Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin wrote to Gordon. I could not find the pieces of Gordon, and I don't, know, I don't know where they went, but I'm certain if I dug harder, I would find them. And so I've attached to your Zoom invitation a number of PDFs called Chavatzelet, the way they spell it. And then it should say, the first one should say number 32. Do you see that in the Zoom invitation? Or in the email you got last night? Yeah. Now, this is an amazing newspaper, and as I've been going through it, it amazes me to see what the Jews were up to in the early 1900s. You know, you have on some, some of these, you have the England-Palestine Bank telling you what the exchange rate for your Turkish coins or your uh, North African coins or your American dollars, what they are once you get to Israel and how much you can spend with them. And you have personal ads that are being posted that people are asking for help with things, people that are collecting money. You have people that are writing all these rabbinic condemnations of other people. You know, it's pretty much if you take a modern Jewish publication, it, it, it ran as the main source of information for the yeshuv of Jews that were living in Israel. I can't do with you everything Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin writes, but I will tell you that there are two times that I'm familiar with in modern rabbinic history where the question of how do we pronounce Hebrew properly, what's the correct pronunciation of Hebrew, 
where they really rose up to be main parts of the conversation in the Jewish community at the time. Can I ask you a question? Has anyone here ever been to a shiul which has focused in your local synagogue or somewhere like that, has focused on the differences between Sephardic and Ashkenazi Hebrew and which one is correct and which one isn't correct and historical sources for those opinions? Okay, so I would argue, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would argue that I don't think this conversation is at the forefront of Jewish controversy today. It's pretty much resigned ourselves to the Sephardim read in Sephardic, Ashkenazi read Ashkenazi, not even all Ashkenazim read in Ashkenazi Hebrew anymore. Uh, Israeli Hebrew is Israeli Hebrew, and it's not really something we're still waiting for people to settle the debate. It's kind of, you know, some people tell you good Shabbos, some people tell you Shabbat Shalom, and, and I don't know, whatever else is, is happening. It's not really the main center of conversation. But you can imagine, when the Jewish people are building their homeland in Eretz Yisrael, and they have to decide on a national language, on a national anthem, they have to speak a, a, a legal language in their universities, in the schools, in the government offices, the conversation, not just is Hebrew going to be our national language, but the question of which type of Hebrew is going to be our national language, that's a raging debate. If the Sephardim win this one, the Ashkenazim are livid. If the Ashkenazim win this one, the Sephardim are going to be livid. Sometimes the people who were founding the state of Israel were ethnically Ashkenazi, but not at all connected to the rabbis of the Ashkenazim or the yeshivot of the Ashkenazim. And so this was a huge point of contention in the old Yishuv and the new Yishuv when we're founding the state of Israel, the years prior to the establishment of the state of Israel, and we see even after the establishment of the state of Israel that this debate becomes a, a thing. Now it seems to be that once Israel is, is established and the spoken Hebrew on the street is Sephardic Hebrew for the sake of today's Shiel, that this debate kind of dies down. With the exception, like Hugo mentioned, in certain yeshivot, you know, if you go to the Haredi community in Israel, you go to a shiu of a rabbi who's speaking, and I'll speak to you in modern Hebrew. It's written in Parashat HaShavua, Moshe Rabbeinu, and he suddenly switches to Ashkenazi Hebrew, and then he says, and it's written in the Gemore. He's confusing types of Hebrews together, but that's, that's normal. Because in that world, there still is this war of we're going to preserve our original Ashkenazi Hebrew. And even though spoken Hebrew is Israeli Hebrew, when it comes to pronouncing anything religious, we're going to default back to our original pronunciation. Now, if I had to give a totally different shiul, it would be where are the Yemenites in this whole story? And the truth is that the Yemenites are a part of the story, but unfortunately, or fortunately, depending who you are, so negligible in terms of you're dealing with two major communities of Sephardim and Ashkenazim. When I say Sephardim, I mean the pan-Sephardic community. That The Yemenites, though those who are academically inclined may have said, well, that might be the correct way to pronounce Hebrew, it never really seems to have become an option in the street of that's going to be the Hebrew that we speak. The second period in history in which we find this conversation reignited. I don't have years for you. 
They call it the Baal Teshuva movement, the Kirov movement. I have my own thoughts on that period of history. It's very curious that when the Jewish people seem to be rediscovering Judaism and institutions and various Jewish missionary groups are getting together to do Kirov and make Baal Teshuva, you find exact parallels in the Protestant world of rebirth to Christianity and new churches that are popping up and dynamic. You know, things in general in history don't happen in a vacuum. And as much as I would love to tell you, wow, it was a movement ordained from God and these rabbis were leading the crusade. Really, the crusade is a proper word because our Christian brothers and sisters were pretty much doing the same exact thing while all of these institutions were... And I shouldn't speak so much about this because people, it's a very sensitive topic to them. But I have a few videos online if you'd like to listen called The Crime of Kiruv. And, and they're short. But in my opinion, they're worth listening to. And they're only the tip of the iceberg of what needs to be said about everything that has happened. And when you take a person and you take them away from their family, what do we take away from their family? You take them from America, from the United Kingdom, from South America, from South Africa, wherever you take You take them and you transplant them into a whole new country. Because they went to the Kotel, and they met a rabbi, and they fell in love, and they put on tefillin, or whatever happened. And then you change their name. So they came here as John, but now you turn them into Yohanan. And mom, don't call me John anymore. I'm Yohanan. And then very quickly they change the way they dress, and the way they talk, and the way they eat. And they sign up to schools, and they drop out of college, or university, or work, or whatever they were doing back home. And then it's, I can't eat in my parents' home, so I don't visit them. They're not. And then, people get married, and they have kids, and they raise them, and there's all kinds of things that happen there. You're dealing with literally changing people's lives, and not always in a positive way. I'm sure that there are people who think that's a positive thing, but not always in a positive way. Which one of these Kirov organizations put together the psychological advisory committee of how you keep healthy, happy people once you abandon their families and you change their identities and you get rid of their names, you take away their ability to make a livelihood, you replace all of their values with new values. Who is guiding these people? It's how to keep people healthy and happy and connected and sane I think we did a big, no, we, I'm not part of that world, but I think there was a big avil that was done. If for certain people it brought them closer to Judaism, the parents and the siblings and the grandparents of these people were set back hundreds of years in terms of coming closer to our mitzvot. My opinion. Let's look here in Chavatzelet number 32. Enough of the boring stuff. Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin on page 1, 2, 3, 4, 4 of the PDF 32. It's called Hasafa Vedikduka, the Hebrew language and its grammar. Hamifta Hasafardi, bottom right of the page, the Sephardic accent or pronunciation. Hofia Elai Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin writes, I found your beautiful newspaper. And when I started 
turning the pages. I saw a beautiful essay, an interesting essay, in this section of the Hebrew language. From one of the intellectuals of this generation. Gordon, Mr. Gordon. And his attempting to clarify exactly how it was that Hebrew was pronounced. It was so pleasant to me, says Rishad Dov Gagin, to see his words that were written in an in, in intellectual fashion, in, with wisdom. But he says, but once he was looking at it with an end, we call it with a critical eye. I see that Mr. Gordon was not successful in reaching the proper conclusion as to how Hebrew should be pronounced. Said, I'm asking his forgiveness respectfully. I would like to disagree with him. And I have to do so in a number of specific points and in some more general points. Point one that Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin goes to battle with Dr. Gordon or Mr. Gordon about is where it says, Aleph, in the left column, based on Mr. Gordon's first proof, about the Sephardim being older than Ashkenazim or not. Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin goes out of his way to prove, according to him, that the Sephardim are the original Jews. What do we mean original? Obviously they're before they were Sephardim or Ashkenazim, those were the original Jews. But that the way the Torah had developed, going from Israel to Babel, and Babel, the Savaraim to the Geonim, the Geonim to the Rishonim. If you have the Geonim who are the teachers of the Rishonim, you have a direct line between the rabbis of Spain, of Sepharad, directly back to Babel, whereas an Ashkenaz you don't. This point is one that I believe Chacham Fawar talks about extensively. I don't mean to put anyone down. Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin doesn't mean to either. And Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin mentions throughout this piece that every time you find the Ashkenazi Chachamim, they get stuck on something. He mentions Rashi. When he gets stuck on something, who do they ask? They reach out to the rabbis of Babel. The French and German rabbis seem to have been, in the words of Rishon Tov Gagin, lost. Lost in terms of their understanding of legal texts, of the codes of halakha, of the Talmud. And they needed to very often consult with those who had a living tradition who could explain to them these things. Maybe I'll find for you a quote to read. If you look on page 5 of the PDF, in the bottom right column, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 or 7 lines down. He mentions that the Ashkenazim, even though they were brilliant Talmudic scholars, and he gives them a lot more credit than others would, 
ומעתיים הצרפתים והאשכנזים היו מפולפלים. If you find that the French and German Jews were very brilliant in terms of their wisdom of Talmud, לא מפני זה נאמר כי מבטאם היא הנכונה מהספרדים, לא. He said, just because someone knows how to study Talmud well, does not mean that their accent in Hebrew is correct. Those two things have nothing to do with each other. Yidiyat ha-Talmud levad, knowledge of Talmud is one thing. Vidiyat ha-Safa lechud, and knowledge of the Hebrew language is another thing entirely. Uvevadai, and certainly, ki en nivra she-ba'olam, there is no creation on earth. Shiyakhish, that will argue, ki betkufat rabbanei tzorfat v'ashkenaz, that in the days of the rabbis of France and Germany, they had no poets and no singers who were masters of the Hebrew language. And the greatest poet of all of the French Jews, I don't know how to pronounce French, but it says in English, Bufils. Rabbi Yosef Tov Elim was a famous French, medieval French poet. He wrote many, many, I think maybe 62 or 63 piyutim that Ashkenazim have throughout their sidurim. Shaya Paitan, he was a poet. V'chiber piyutim rabim, the Shabbatot HaShana, Mo'odei Hashem. And he wrote many different piyutim for Shabbat and for holidays. Acheruzav noflim mi'od mecharuzei ha-sefaradim. He said, but his, his ability to rhyme, his eloquence, is far inferior to that of Sephardic Chachamim of his time. And it's obvious that his ability to write prose and song was that inferior of that of the Sephardim. I'm skipping a few lines. He says, because the Chachamim of France and Germany, they didn't really know Hebrew so well. They knew a little bit. What do you mean Hebrew? Hebrew, they knew how to read and translate. But to properly put together sentences with Hebrew grammar, they didn't know so well. I'm skipping a few lines. He mentions a teshuvah from Rabbi Shemuel Sunsin, also brought down by Mori Mintz. He says here, V'chol ha-ashkenazim b'tivahem, this is an old Spanish seems to be teshuvah, I think, that it seems that all the ashkenazim of Germany in their nature they are of heavy tongues. They don't know how to pronounce Hebrew properly. And they have a hard time writing properly, expressing themselves deeply in the Hebrew language. And if you hear the Ashkenazi Chachamim speak Hebrew, you will not understand them. Unless you spent eternity in their yeshivot and you learn how to pronounce Hebrew like them, if you were to hear them speaking, you would never understand what they are saying. That's the end of this teshuvah. And I say, 
כי מי שקבע ושמע בישיבותיהם יבינם. He said that only somebody who sat in their yeshivot will understand them, כי אנוכי ביותי מתווכח עם גאון גדול מאחינו האשכנזים בנוגע למאמרנו, when I went to argue with one of the great geniuses of the האשכנזים, in our generation, he says, Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin, I went to argue with him about my essay, אמר לי, חידוש גדול, he told me something amazing, כי בתווכח אשכנזים ספרדי, because when אשכנזים and ספרדים argue, left column at the bottom, האשכנזי יבין כל מילה אשר יצאה מפי הספרדי. And Ashkenazi will understand everything that comes out of the mouth of the Sephardi. Uvedovram, Ashkenazi, im Ashkenazi, lo ze yavin milo, velo ze yavin devarav, veze lama ki mifta Sephardim hu anachon vabaru, velo ken mifta Ashkenazi. He said, even among Ashkenazim, they don't always understand each other. I'm just quoting from Bishop Dukagin. He said, and this shows you again how superior Sephardic Hebrew is to Ashkenazi Hebrew. In the next paragraph, Rabbi Shantov Gagin wants to show that if you look in the Christian Bible at the way that certain words were transliterated, so if you look here and you'll see Nachum or Chagai with an H, he makes an argument that the original church translators knew that Hebrew was pronounced the Sephardic way. And that's why they wrote the transliterations this way. In this next piece, on the bottom of page 5, in the left, he talks about historically how the Ashkenazim got to where they got, how the Sephardim got to where they got. And let me take you to page 6. In the left middle, on the bottom, Imken, therefore, says Rabbi Shantov Gagin, I'm now turning to my dear friend, Mr. Gordon, to tell him, You see now from all of the proofs that I brought you, that anybody who is intellectually honest will accept that what I'm saying is true. And because I've already showed you that the French and German Jews were students of the Italian Jews. The Italians are the students of the Sephardim. I skipped that whole paragraph, but if you want, on your own time, you're welcome to read through it. With regards to Talmud, the Hebrew grammar, and even when it comes to matters of Kabbalah, they're also students of the Sephardim. Says Rabbi Shem Dov Gagin, so not only do I ask Mr. Gordon to please accept my words, but I'm turning to all of you readers of this newspaper. And I will lift my voice like a shofar. And I will call out. It's good. Today's the first day we blew the shofar. Rabbanim, rabbis, geonim, geniuses, maskilim, intellectuals, those who love our Hebrew language. Continue pronouncing Hebrew with a Sephardic pronunciation. You have to understand what's going on here. Ashkenazi Jews are giving up their pronunciation for Sephardic pronunciation. These are the more 
less religious of the Ashkenazim. The Ashkenazi rabbis are throwing fits. Don't abandon the Torah of your mother. Pronounce Hebrew properly. Rabbi Shantov Gagin gets up in front of all of the Jews of Jerusalem and tells these maskilim, you people who are pronouncing Hebrew Sephardic, don't listen to your rabbis. <coughs> you should do the right thing. Pronounce Hebrew in a Sephardic way. Chizku v'amtsu. Be strong. Support your friends who are doing the right thing. To do a And now you should know, my brothers and friends, the basis of unity is the language. That in the generation of the Tower of Babel, the whole world spoke one language. And he quotes from Rabbi Avraham ben Ezra that just like people who have different religions have a hard time getting along with each other, so to those who speak different languages will have a hard time getting along with each other. And says Rabbi Shavdov Gagin, Horet al in the last paragraph, you have now been shown, Ki halashon, that if we pronounce Hebrew differently from each other, we will lose out on Jewish unity. And the truth is, Rabbi Shantov Gagin says, I have no desire to prove to you that Sephardim are more original than Ashkenazim are. We are all the children of the same person. Avram Avinu. Torah We all received one Torah in Har Sinai. El Echad One God created all of us. And this is the reason I turn to you, Mr. Gordon. To the contrary. Says, and I bless you, Mr. Gordon, that as you accept the truth from me, that ultimately this will cause unity among the Jewish people, and more Jews will come to Eretz Israel, and we will one day have a homeland in the land of Israel. This is signed on May 1st, 1908. There are a number of other places where Rabbi Shantov Gagin begins to argue with Mr. Gordon. I don't think we have to open up all of them. Let me just see if I marked any notes. In, in the end of May, May 29th, you'll see it's number 44 in the PDFs. Mr. Gordon is complaining about the Sephardim who don't pronounce letters differently. Why is there no difference between a taf and a saf? And Rabbi Shantov Gagin shows him that there is a difference, that the original Sephardim said like a TH sound. Okay. Again, he continues into June 12th of 1908. That's number... Of, uh, Iraqis, Iraqis nor, uh, some North African Jews, all the Yemenite Jews, absolutely, absolutely. Most likely that has fallen by the wayside because of, of Israel, not because of anything else. He then continues in June 12th, that's edition 49, and he again writes to Mr. Gordon, This takes us to number 58 in the 4th of July, 1908. That's American Independence Day that nobody celebrated 
in British Jerusalem. And this is yet another letter where he writes to Mr. Gordon. Maybe let's look at that one for a second. If you open up 58. Mr. Gordon, at a certain point, can't handle it anymore. That Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin shows him the way we pronounce a chet is the way the Arabs pronounce this in Arabic. The way we pronounce a tzadi is the way the Arabs pronounce this in Arabic. Then at a certain point, Mr. Gordon seems to have told him, I don't have Mr. Gordon's letter. He says, you, Sefaradim, you learned how to pronounce your Hebrew from the non-Jews, and you have the chutzpah to come to us and tell us how to pronounce Hebrew. When we speak a pure Hebrew, you speak a non-Jewish Hebrew, <coughs> and this sets Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin off. And the truth is that I would start with you already in an earlier page, but whoever photocopied these editions for the National Library of Israel didn't do such a great job, and the page is a little blurry. So the one, two, three, four, five, I'm at the top of page six. Really the bottom of page six of, of journal 58. And three lines down. Said, you try to mock the Sephardim and raise yourself up by mocking the Sephardim. Kasher Matsata. That word is, 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 I don't know what it says. Lemor, you said, Kilamdu Chuchma Vanid. You said, the problem with the Sephardim is that they studied secular studies and that they involved themselves in Greek wisdom. That's a key word for the sciences, the secular world. The Sephardim, their Hebrew, got messed up because they know too much about the world around them. They weren't isolated like Ashkenazi. Loyadata. <coughs> you don't know, says Rabbi Shabdov Gagin. Loyad Bonanta. You didn't think for a moment. That really, instead of disrespecting the Sephardim, you're only giving us more respect to show how worldly we are and how much we know about the world around us. And he goes on, you think you have moldy grapes, but we turned it into wine. He keeps writing. He says, If it wasn't for the early Sephardic sages who were familiar with all the other languages, would be like a blind person who's trying to feel his way around the darkness. The first of the rabbis who knew languages was Rabbi Natan, the author of the Aroch. He wrote a century in encyclopedia clarifying certain Hebrew words. Anybody who's ever studied the Rabbi Yosef Zarnigian will know that he uses this book extensively to bring you definitions of words the way they used to be understood. And he said, how are you supposed to know Hebrew if you don't study the languages that are around Hebrew? And he mentions Arabic, and he mentions Greek, and he mentions Persian, and he mentions a few other languages that a person has to know in order to understand Hebrew in its context. He said, how would you know the words of the Talmud if you don't know these things? And essentially he gives it to Mr. Gordon on the head for trying to say that Sephardim messed up their Hebrew because they were familiar with other languages. Rabbi Shetov Gagin says the only reason we know Hebrew is because we preserved our knowledge of those other languages and you who didn't know those languages, you have learned how to mispronounce Hebrew. 
So I don't think that this war was ever settled. I think the only thing that happened was that uh, they just stopped talking about it. How can you settle this debate? It's actually a very interesting point that you made, Scott, because uh, I mean, even nowadays when we like talk about different pronunciations of different languages, since it's not, we can't really like write down what, how do you pronounce a certain letter, you usually compare it to other languages. So actually, uh, uh, I think this point is actually really good, is that you actually need other languages to explain the pronunciation of, of another language. And he, he does make that point more than once throughout his, his letters here with uh, Mr. Gordon. And I, I do think, I do agree that those are, are important points. By the way, there are some things I, I, I wish I could just sit with you and, and show you all these newspapers, but it has nothing to do with Irish U. But at the end of the first journal, that was 32, there was a lady who was asking for help from the Jewish community who subscribed to this magazine, this newspaper, to please help her find her daughter. Her daughter had left to America with $100 in her pocket to go join her husband and children. The reason she didn't go with them the first time was she was admitted to a psychiatric institute and she was healed, says this mother, and she got on a boat and it stopped in Egypt and France and a few other places along the way to America. <clears throat> and he said her husband, the husband hasn't found the wife, she never made it to America. She's not in Jerusalem anymore. She doesn't know if she died along the way. She doesn't know if she got admitted to a hospital in France or a hospital in Egypt. So she doesn't know and she'll pay money to any person who will bring her information so she can find her daughter. I think to myself, I don't know what happened in 1908. I don't know who this girl was. I don't know, I don't know whatever ended with that story. But you look back at a window of Ami Sayyid in time and you say, you know, life wasn't easy once upon a time. <clears throat> the fact that you and I could talk to each other on Zoom from all around the world, from from Israel, from the United Kingdom, from the East Coast, from the West Coast of the United States, from, from the same city, from down the block, from wherever we are. We see each other face to face and we have so many opportunities to, to not worry, to not be worried about things, to just learn Torah, to be living a life that is good and wholesome. I feel that I wish that the people who lived then could see what, what all of their sacrifice gave us, the state of Israel, the homeland. Everybody speaks Hebrew. I promise to show you a few more things. And if you'll give me a few minutes, if anybody needs to go, I understand. But I wanted to show you a few more things. <clears throat> Rav Uziel, by the way, in one of his most famous teshuvot, it's the first teshuvah in his Mishpatei Uziel, he also is trying to figure out what accent they should speak in the state of Israel. His conclusion is very interesting. As Rav Uziel was always a gentle chacham, he writes, after a very long essay, ולכן, therefore, אין ביכולתנו להכריע ולצרף את השפה מכל שינויים אלה, אלה שהעברת האותיות ותנועות. He said, I can't standardize for you the way Hebrew should be pronounced. Which way to pronounce this way? To pronounce that way, which one is the right way? Which is the wrong way? כל המבטאים בשוניהם, all of the pronunciations of Hebrew, in all of their various forms, they all came out of one Hebrew language. And ultimately the Jewish people will return back to their original Hebrew sooner or later when they dwell in the land of Israel. And therefore, my humble opinion, says Rabbi Uziel, is that we have no way to compel people, to force them to say that one way of Hebrew is more correct 
than another way of Hebrew. But because that's the case, listen carefully, because that's the case, גם אין ביכולתנו לומר שהקורא במבטא אחר מזה שקיבל מאבותיו ורבותיו לא יצא ידי חובתו ונכשל בעל תדור שתורת ימיך. Just like I can't prove to you that one way of pronouncing Hebrew is better than the other, so too you can't tell me that if somebody, for example, grew up Ashkenazi and chooses to pronounce Hebrew Sephardic, that they did something wrong because they didn't do something wrong. Just because they pronounce Hebrew differently than their parents or grandparents does not mean that they did anything wrong. And Rabbi Uziel says, Ulam, nonetheless, Just because I can't prove to you now, doesn't mean that we've exempted ourselves from debating this issue and settling it. Said so we should gather together sages and scholars. We should get together all of the rabbis, all of the scholars, all of the academics, whoever needs to be in this conversation. To gather together and standardize Hebrew for all the synagogues and all of the Batemidash. Omnam Icharnu Hamoed, he said, but I fear that it's already a little too late. And it seems to me, says Rav Uziel, that in our current state, and I don't know when he wrote this letter, but he died in 1953. So sometime before 1953. He said, it feels like it's already late and we cannot turn the tide back. We can't go back and redo things we should have done the right the first time. But if we miss the boat, it's good that we at least jump on it now and not miss it completely. And Rav Uziel believed that if nitkanes Hashem iluy chuvatenu b'sha'azo betikva ve'munaki Adonai elchenu b'dech emet He said if we truly wanted to standardize Hebrew to settle on a correct pronunciation and the Chachamim were willing to sit down and talk remember this is a theme throughout Rav Uziel's writings if only the Chachamim could get together and decide things He said I'm certain that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would guide us to the proper Hebrew because we believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would bless such a, con- a congress of scholars and sages that sit together I told you there was a second period in history in which this was discussed and I got sidetracked about Kiruv and, and uh, the Kiruv movements. When Jews started reclaiming their Jewish heritage in Israel and you had Israeli kids that were raised speaking Israeli Hebrew going to the Israeli army and now they find themselves in yeshivot, let's say a Sephardic yeshiva. And he starts learning Torah. And someone tells him, you, your last name is Finkelstein. How can you be pronouncing Hebrew like a Sephardi? You're an Ashkenazi. He said, I'm Ashkenazi, I'm an Israeli. I don't know what you're talking about. No, you have to go back and pronounce Hebrew like your forefathers. You can't abandon your forefathers' custom. I have someone here in my Knesset. True story. And I'm allowed to share this story. He is an Ashkenazi Jew who came to observance later in life. His wife is a Yemenite Israeli Jew. And they're married. And in their house, they eat rice on Pesach. This is even before they learned by me and were students of mine. And some of you, they used to tell them, ah, you're an Ashkenazi Jew, how do you eat rice on Pesach? You have to follow your parents' custom. And he said, my parents' custom was to eat chametz on Pesach. So her parents' custom was to keep kasher on Pesach. If you want me to follow my parents, then I'll eat all kinds of things on Pesach, you would never let me eat. I mean, there's a certain point in which a person, even though they're from Ashkenazi lineage or Sephardic lineage, don't identify anymore with that exile, that galut. I'm a Jewish person living in this place. When, when people told my wife and I, it was our anniversary, 
Today, today's our anniversary, Baruch Hashem. So, uh, our Hebrew anniversary, our English anniversary was on Sunday. They told us, you know, you're Ashkenazim and Sephardim, and the, the cultures are so different from each other. You know, the greatest difference in culture between my wife and I has nothing to do with us being Sephardic or Ashkenazi. And everything to do with her being from New York and my being from San Diego. You know, us San Diegans were polite, cultured, uh, quiet uh, people. My wife was out of her call today, yes? And in New York, they're rude and they're loud and they're obnoxious and they're, uh, of, of course, they'll say it differently. They'll say they're bold and they're courageous and we're weak and we're uh, shy and okay, fine, whatever it's going to be. But the major differences that happen in our home is because you're from New York and I'm from California. That's really the major difference. When, when does it come up? So we speak a lot about it. But when does it come up, really, in terms of culture? Not halakha, not the customs. Culture, nothing. I'm as Sephardic as my wife is Ashkenazi. My wife's family has been out of Europe for seven generations on both sides of her family. Her mother's side was in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, already seven generations ago. And my father-in-law's side has been in Israel, in Jerusalem, for seven generations. There's nothing, I mean, they're Ashkenazi, of course, but they're not really Ashkenazi. I was born in San Diego to parents who are Israeli, to grandparents who were Sephardi. I'm not shy of being, I'm not embarrassed of being a Sephardi. But how much can you tell this line already? So Chacham of Yosef, he was asked this question. I attached to your uh, Zoom invitation a PDF. I'm not going to do all of it with you. Just want the question and his answer. Chacham of Yosef was asked. So if you look on page two of the PDF, this is from his famous work of Teshuvot, Yabiya Omer. One day I'm going to buy myself the new set that came out. But for right now, I'm using this tiny little print that I have, my old set. Nishalti, I was asked, Me'avrech, from a kolal guy, Tamich Chacham, Me'achenu Ashkenazim, a Torah scholar, from our brothers, the Ashkenazim. I want to just say, and I mean this seriously, every time you find Chacham Uvadeh Yosef write about Ashkenazim, Achenu Ashkenazim, Achenu Ashkenazim, our brothers, the Ashkenazim, our brothers, the Ashkenazim. I'm still waiting to see the favor returned. I would like to see that somewhere. One day. That in his youth, this kolal guy in his youth, he went to a regular Israeli school. And he was taught to pronounce Hebrew properly as a Sephardi. And he prays and says his blessings in the Sephardic pronunciation. And now he's not sure whether he has to change his accent to pronounce Hebrew the way his forefathers did in Ashkenazi Hebrew. Because it says that you should not abandon the Torah of your mother, meaning the customs of your family. And he wants to know whether or not he can still keep his Sephardic pronunciation of Hebrew, or he has to go back and pronounce Hebrew in an Ashkenazi fashion. And similarly, We should ask about a synagogue of our brothers, the Ashkenazim, Do they read and pronounce Hebrew in, in Sephardic Hebrew? What kind of Ashkenazi synagogue pronounces Sephardic Hebrew? Okay, where, and I freaking, you know that I don't use labels for, I don't use labels for, for much, but I would argue that the, 
no, 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 I'm, I'm going to say like this. Where they learned what's closest to the modern Israeli pronunciation. So Those people like me grow up and they speak that way in the Mother Ashkenazi. Very good. The, 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 I think, uh, from my experience, has been that the vast majority is pronouncing in, in a f Israeli Hebrew, maybe with an American accent, who cares? But in terms of the pronunciation, it's, it's Hebrew pronunciation, like Savaradin. And in Israel, uh, pretty much all the, the religious Zionist community speaks in, in Sephardic Hebrew. Now, it's very interesting, by the way, because though Rav Uziel wrote what he wrote, Rav Kook was adamant that you cannot abandon Ashkenazi Hebrew. Rav Kook, in his spoken Hebrew, spoke like an Ashkenazi. I mean, even when he spoke day to day, spoke with his Ashkenazi accent. And I don't know of one yeshiva, students of Rav Kook, that pronounce Hebrew in an Ashkenazi. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't know of anybody in the religious Zionist community who pronounces Hebrew the way their rabbi Rav Kook did. There are those that come to these Jews and say, you can't pray that way. They try to compel these synagogues, these communities, to pronounce Hebrew the way their ancestors did. Says especially when it comes to the name of Hashem, there are some who want to say that Sephardim, the way we pronounce Hashem's name, is forbidden. Because we say Adonai, and really it should be Adonoi, because the one place in the Torah where it says, I, with a patach, is referring to a human being and not to the creator of the universe. I don't want to get stuck on details. Rabbi Yosef says because he has no time, he has to answer this letter very briefly. So he answers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages of Teshuvah. This is very brief for Chacham Avod Yosef in general. He's, this is short for him. You should say long. I think somewhere in the laws of Pesach, I went through a Teshuvah, Chacham Yosef, 41 pages on the halacha of Pesach. You know, sometimes long is long, so this is very short for him. Echamad Yosef is a, just a page of names that he cites. That's true, that's true. Page 4. If you look on page, I'm trying to figure out which one for you. 5. 6. Look on page 6 in the Abiyomir. If you look in the right column, it should say Lamed Zayin at the top left of your page. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13 lines down from the top of the page. He quotes from the book Frankfurt. Have you heard of Rabbi Nasan Adler of Frankfurt? Have you heard of him before? Yes, he's the... He was the rabbi of the Khadam Sofer. So if the Khadam Sofer is who the Khadam Sofer is, Rabbi Nathan Adler is Rabbi Nathan Adler. Rabbi Nathan Adler was the rabbi of Frankfurt. He got himself in major trouble. It seems, and I don't recall my history of that period so well, that he may have even been forced to leave Frankfurt because of some of the things that he did. But he was the rabbi of Frankfurt. Amen. And he, 
he would pray in Germany. I'm talking about hundreds of years ago, in Germany with a Sephardic pronunciation. He says, I also knew. This rabbi, Tzoramo, says, I prayed there when I was a young man in the synagogue of Rebbein Adar. And I heard this giant Ashkenazi Kabbalist praying in a Sephardic Hebrew. And I merited to get to know him and speak with him. And was told to me by reliable sources. That in the home of Rabbi Natan Adler, he had a guest, a Sephardic guest from Jerusalem for two or three years. The reason Rabbi Natan Adler brought the Sephardic rabbi to his home for two or three years was only for the purpose that this rabbi should teach him, this rabbi of a city, to teach him how to pronounce Hebrew like a Sephardi. He hired for himself a private tutor as a rabbi to teach him how to pronounce Hebrew like a Sephardi. And who can judge as a great man? And if this great man, Rabbi Natan Adler, as genius as he was, took two or three years to pronounce Hebrew properly, he said, of course we should also be speaking Sephardic Hebrew. But we can't. If it took him two or three years, it's going to take us our whole life to learn how to pronounce Sephardic Hebrew properly. But I think this is a, a gross exaggeration. You can give us a few days and you can teach anybody to pronounce Hebrew properly. None of the other geniuses of the generation agreed, and none of them changed their pronunciation from Ashkenazi to Sephardic. And he says, He gives you here the name of the famous Sephardic Chacham who was in the home of Rabbi Natan Adler. Let's end the letter if you go to the last page of the PDF. Oh, sorry, the second to last page. Where it says, hey, the bottom left. Rav Unterman, who was Rav Unterman? Do you know who he was? Nobody knows Rav Unterman? Someone on Google his name for a second? U-N-T-E-R-M-A-N. He deserves to be known. Miriam, what did you find? It says here he was an Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel from 64 to 72. Yes, he was. Very good. He was the Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel. I don't know why nobody knows who he was. He was like uh, Rav Kook, like Rav Shapira, like uh, uh, any of the Ashkenazi chief rabbis, Rabbi Lau. You had Rav Unterman, was a giant of the chief rabbis. Thank you very much, man. Shela, he writes, that nowadays, that nowadays, 
You're talking about hundreds of thousands of Israeli Jews, say millions of Israeli Jews, who only heard Sephardic Hebrew in their life. Because that's what's spoken in Eretz Israel. And there's two generations of Israelis that have only been taught Sephardic Hebrew. It seems impossible to take away their right to pronounce Hebrew the way that they were taught to pronounce Hebrew for two generations. And even those who pray in Ashkenazi Hebrew, says Rav Unterman, when they go to a Sephardic synagogue, they very clearly understand, because they speak Israeli Hebrew, the reading of the Torah and the prayers of Sephardi. Because they hear Sephardic Hebrew and its intonation pronounced everywhere, in conversations, in state speeches, and in the news, says Rabbi Utuman that it doesn't make sense to demand that all these Ashkenazim give up the accent they've been speaking to revert back to Ashkenazi Hebrew when already they've been raised speaking Sephardic Hebrew. He mentions an interesting point that Rabbi Yitzchak of Velazhin, after he finished saying Shema Yisrael, he would say Shema Yisrael a second time in Sephardic Hebrew just to make sure that he fulfilled his biblical obligation of saying Shema Yisrael. For all those people who go, Zecher, Zecher, you know what I'm talking about? By uh, the reading of Amalek. Zecher, Zecher, they, they don't know how to pronounce so just They should read the Torah once Ashkenazi, once Sephardic, once Yemenite, once, and that way they get all of the bases covered. <clears throat> On the last page of the Teshuvah, Rabbi Bani Yosef writes, one, two, three, four, five, six lines down. He said, if we insist on Sephardic Hebrew, we will be able to bring close the young Jews, Israeli Jews, to the service of Hashem. That they will feel comfortable in the courtyards of Hashem. They'll care to see the beauty of Hashem and visit in His home. When an Israeli hears, it doesn't make a difference if you're Ashkenazi or Sephardic, when an Ashkenazi Israeli hears Ashkenazi Hebrew, it is unusual to them. <coughs> and if you can bring an Israeli Jew to an Ashkenazi synagogue, he will never come back a second time. And to he comes and he who exits, there is no peace. And this is correct what Rav Unterman wrote. spoken Hebrew in Israel is Sephardic Hebrew. Especially for the young Israeli children. How can an Israeli kid find inspiration in an Ashkenazi synagogue, when he doesn't understand the blessed words that they are saying. It's foreign to him completely. And in this way, if they, we continue praying with Ashkenazi Hebrew in the synagogue, says everybody else, the children will not come to the synagogue. And 
Says Rabbi Yosef, and therefore my conclusion is that the young man can continue reading Sephardic Hebrew. That synagogue can continue reading Sephardic Hebrew. And I wrote to you my humble opinion. So you see that this became an issue again. I'll end off with one story. It was last time I told you I would share to you Haskama Rabbi Mazuz. And it's attached to your PDF. You'll see a book called Havarat Chasidim. I was in New York. About to run to my flight, but I said, I have to go to a bookstore, I have to buy a book, something. I don't have Jewish bookstores in San Diego. So I went to a Sefarim store, and I see there, this book. This book says, Havarat Chasidim. The pronunciation of the Chasidim. Now you know, if, if Sefaradim say, Avinu Malkenu, and Ashkenazim say, Avinu Malkenu, Chasidim say, Uvini Malkaini. And I never really knew how they reached that place. And this book says, it explains the origins, the correctness of Hasidic Hebrew. It's actually printed in London. So I, I mean no disrespect to the author of the book. I don't know who he is. His name is Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Dembitzer. Dembitzer. He lives in London. Is, do you guys know who he is? No. Okay. Um, and I was so excited. Why did I buy the book? I would never buy a book like this off the cuff. But I opened it up. And I saw not one, but two letters from Rabbi Mazuz, the famous Sephardic Midakdek, the, the one who is particular about pronunciation of Hebrew. I said, if he gave him a haskama, I've got to read this book. So I put the haskamot out of order because they really, I'm, chronologically. He writes here, Tedva. Okay, let's do this. You see how on the cover page he spells his name Dembitzer? You see that? How do you spell Dembitzer? Dalid? Ayn? Mem, bet, yud, tzadi, ayin, resh. You see that? How do you, who writes Hebrew like that? It's Yiddish. In Yiddish, you write the Hebrew words like that. The ayin and aleph are used kind of like vowels. Look on page two of that PDF. You'll see a letter in handwriting from Rabbi Mazuz. You see that? It says, kiseh rachamim at the top. How does Rabbi Mazuz write his name? Dembitzer. Dalet mem bet yud sadiresh. He took away all the Yiddish letters out of his name and he rewrote his name for him. So Rabbi Mazuz writes, Dear Rabbi Naftali Dembitzer, whose name I just corrected for you. May Hashem give you a long life. Shalom uvachav, blessings. Samachti lirot, I'm so excited to see among our brothers the Ashkenazim. You see here again, Acheno Ashkenazim. I'm so happy to see that finally among the Ashkenazim, there is somebody who cares about Hebrew grammar. And they don't see this as reform, as enlightenment, as forbidden study. And all of our rabbis, the Rishonim, wrote about Hebrew grammar. Rav Sadeg On, Menachem, Dunash, Rashi, Rabban Yonah, Evan Ganach, Rabban Utam, Rashbam, Ravad, Radak, Vod. Umina Haronim, Haraza, Hayabetz, Hagra, Harashash, Vod. Yesha Kokhav, Yerbuka Mocha Bisrael. I give you Chazak of Aruch, and may there be more Jews like you among Am Israel. Signed, Neeman, Rabbi Mazuz. Okay, you see that? Look at the next letter. 
The next letter, Rav Mazuz gets serious. It seems to be this book was actually ready for publication. And Rav Mazuz saw the book. Now, if I was the rabbi who published this book, I wouldn't put this letter in the book. He says, And again, he corrects the spelling of his name. Dembitzer with no ayins. Shalom uvacha, blessings. I received your book about Hasidic pronunciation. Thank you. I even heard the recording that you made of how to pronounce Shir Hashirim properly. I just have to comment your kuf that you pronounce. It sounds artificial. It doesn't sound like it's natural to you. If you would have been raised to pronounce Hebrew properly when you were young, you wouldn't sound like you have to rip your throat out. You're forcing your throat to make a sound you don't know how to make. <coughs> if you look in the right, there's a little Rashi script. Rabbi Dembenzer, he writes that, just so you know, there's more to this letter than what's printed here, but I only took selections out of the letter and put it here. I wish I could know what more Rav Mazuz wrote. He then corrects him in the second paragraph about the pronunciation of a word in the Ashkenazi Sidu. In the Rashi script on the right, Rabbi Demitzer again tries to prove that the Ashkenazi uh, vowelization is correct. And then, and then you have here the third paragraph. And this is what I came. Mi amarlo, who told you, Rabbi Demitzer, shechachmei Ashkenaz akadmonim lo hivdilu ben kuf vechav kemo asavaradim? Who told you that the early Ashkenazim didn't differentiate between a kuf? And a kaf. What's a kuf and what's a kaf? You hear the difference? Kuf comes from your throat. Kaf comes from the top of your mouth. Who told you that the original Ashkenazim didn't differentiate? The according to me, says Ramazuz, hem bitu hakol The original Ashkenazim pronounced everything like the Savaradim. Ven hevdel benehem, the only difference between Savaradim and Ashkenazim, rak only when it comes to pronouncing the letter vav. How do a Sevardim say the letter Vav traditionally? Wa, like a W. Like a W. Vagaluyod, Vatsarot, Shavu, Alachinu, Ashkenazim, Hishkichu, Memetakot. Unfortunately, though, the exiles and the constant suffering and persecution that our brothers, the Ashkenazim, suffered through caused them to forget how to pronounce Hebrew properly. And right, look here what Rav Mazuz writes, and he bolds it. And even you, Rabbi Demitzer, who clearly knows that the proper pronunciation of Hebrew, <coughs> he said, you, Rabbi Demitzer, I corrected the spelling of your name twice. And you are still insistent to write your name in the Ashkenazi way with superfluous ayins. And to write Romania with an ayin. He said, even you who knows the truth is not willing to admit to the truth. And our rabbi, the Rambam, already taught us, you shall learn to accept truth from whoever tells you the truth. Then Rav Mazuz gives him over the head. It's okay that you're Ashkenazi, but you don't have to keep misspelling your name. I've corrected the spelling of your name. Now you can write it properly in Hebrew. Those who know Rabbi Mazuz, know that this letter is very much up his alley. 
One thing I will point out, and then I'll call it a day. You see how he signs his name? Neeman Sephardita. It says, people read this, Sephardita Ho, pure Sephardic. <coughs> In the right, Rabbi Demetzer says, Rabbi Mazuz wrote to me in his letters. I always write Neeman Samachted. Neeman Zeneum Meir Nisim Sofet Tav. I am Meir Nisim and my end should be well, meaning I should live a long life. We received in all the generations all of these things that people say Sephardita Ho, Simantov, Sintin, Hevel Hema. He says, it's all nonsense. No Sephardic Chacham would ever sign his name pure-blooded Sephardic. Nobody writes Samech Tet because he is a Sephardita Ho, but because it means, I should live a long life. When I published the first Torah piece of my life in the Journal of Ner Israel in 12th grade, I, I wouldn't write the same thing I wrote then, today, but I wrote it anyways about wearing kippot and the importance of wearing kippot. All of the Sephardim they had after their name, Samechtet. They wanted to write about it, I said, don't write about me. Why? Because they were writing Sephardi Taho, Sephardi Taho. I said, what, are you going to write Ashkenazi Taho, also a pure-blooded Ashkenazi? Who writes such crazy things? I'm Jewish. Don't write it after my name. From when I'm the, the, as young as I can remember, I have an allergic reaction to people being proud of the exile that they came from. <clears throat> you and I are all brothers and sisters. We all belong in Eretz Yisrael. And just because we spend time outside in a hostage situation and we develop some type of Stockholm Syndrome, doesn't mean that it's something we should be proud of. Harav Uziel's suggestion of sitting down and really figuring out with scholars and sages the proper pronunciation of Hebrew, to me is the only road going forward. But I feel that even if Am Yisrael never gets around to sitting down with rabbis and scholars, look around the Jewish community. I would argue the vast majority of Jews that read Hebrew, read Hebrew in the way that they read Hebrew in Israel. Am Yisrael has pretty much claimed the way of Hebrew that it's going to use in the future. And if Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin talks about the difference between Zavadim and Ashkenazim, of all the differences that we have, I actually see that this one is being bridged naturally, organically. When you go to Israel, all Israelis speak the same Hebrew to each other. We're speaking the same language to each other. <clears throat> 70 years ago, 100 years ago, nobody would dream the Yemenites and Iraqis and Ashkenazis could all speak Hebrew together the same way. Now, I'm sure that all of those people who want the purity of their pronunciation are upset. But to me, what do I see? I see, look, if the rabbis and the scholars and the sages and the leaders are not willing to unite the Jewish people, it'll happen organically over time. Am Yisrael are good people. Am Yisrael want to be together. Am Yisrael want to marry each other, want to work with each other. They want to pray with each other. They want to get along with each other. And if you look, <clears throat> Look at what has happened in the Jewish people in the last 70-some years. And you'll see that at least in this difference, we can almost cross it off our list. Almost, because we still have this difference in some limited scenarios like the Bera Knesset. But ultimately, I'm very proud to look at the Jewish community and say, wow, we've managed at least on one thing to all get behind the same language, the same way we speak to each other. Bezrat Hashem, for the rest of the 50 things on the list, HaKadosh Baruch should allow us to, if not organically, then through great leadership, unite Am Yisrael behind one ideal. God willing, next week we'll take apart the next 10 of Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin's list. Thank you for your patience with me. I went over time today. And thank you for learning with me today. Bezrat Hashem, Baruch.